Chapter 347 Colonel John Jacob Schmidt Radio Free Redoubt We go from one regular person to another regular person, Colonel John Jacob Schmidt, Ben said. He can't be here today because he's out somewhere in the Mountain West states transmitting his clandestine news broadcasts. We've told the stories of colonels who provided money, medical care, facilities, weapons, computer networks, economics, guerrilla fighters, intelligence, and commandos, Ben said in almost a single breath. What's missing? News we could rely on, Ben said. It was vital. It encouraged us, informed us, persuaded us, and motivated us. Ben was speaking from the heart now. I know from personal experience how uplifting it is to have reliable Patriot news. When I was hiding out on the Prosser farm after the EPU agents arrived and brought a shortwave radio, I would crave hearing Radio Free Redoubt and John Jacob Schmidt's voice. Even though he broadcast from the Redoubt, he knew about half of listeners were outside the Redoubt in occupied territory, as he called it. If anything, the listener in occupied territory needed the information and encouragement more than those safely in the redoubt. Ben realized he needed to explain redoubt. The name comes from the redoubt, which is a heavily defended stronghold where the remnant of a people hole up and fight on. It's a sanctuary. It's not a hidden place, but a place the enemy dare not try to enter. It's remote and self-contained. The American Redoubt was eastern Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and eastern Oregon. That's where John Jacob Schmidt broadcast from. Oh, John Jacob Schmidt isn't his real name, Ben said. When I first heard John Jacob Schmidt, I wanted to fill in the rest of the children's song, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, and say his name is my name too. But that's the brilliance of that name for a clandestine news station. His name is my name, too, connects the listener to John. The essence of political persuasion is connecting with the listener and letting them know that you're just like them. John did this just by picking his alias. But John did more than just pick a catchy alias, Ben explained. He started Radio Free Readout years before the collapse. He took a lot of risk by broadcasting. He started on the Internet and as a podcast because he was a government contractor with a high security clearance. In fact, and not a lot of people know this, he was a Special Forces soldier before becoming a military contractor. His Special Forces training, where their small teams had to encourage and motivate large indigenous populations to support our side in a guerrilla war, is where he learned how important news was. Small guerrilla teams, even well-trained and well-equipped ones, still needed a unifying purpose to go out and do what they do. They needed to know three things. First, they need to know that they are not alone and are part of something much bigger. It's easy to become disillusioned when you think you're just a tiny speck. You need to know that you might be tiny, but you're a piece of a mosaic that makes a full and beautiful picture. Second... Gorillas, and the general population for that matter, need to know the atrocities the other side is committing. A man or woman needs to have a reason to risk their lives, whether as a gorilla or a civilian soft supporter of the Patriots. And nothing motivates people to take risks than knowing that the other side is doing horrible things 
and won't hesitate to do it to them and their family. The laziest and most apathetic civilian will suddenly pick sides when he or she realizes a ruthless band of thugs is close by and ready to kill, rape, and steal. From them, not just from some other people far away. Finally, people need to know they can win. Not many people will risk everything for a side that has no chance. Remember that many supporters of a cause are heavily influenced by seeing which side will win. Ben decided to tread lightly on this topic because he was talking about many people in New Washington, and he needed their support to rebuild the state. So he said, Everyone listening to me knew the Patriots would win, which was not true. But the rest of the population needed the facts to come to this conclusion on their own. Facts, Ben said. Facts, not propaganda. The general population and even some Patriot fighters assumed that we would make things up to look good. It's been known to happen in politics, he said with a smile, but got serious and said, The Limas perfected this. They lied and lied until no one, not even most of their own supporters, believed a word they said. Losing credibility with the general population, let alone your own supporters, is deadly to a cause. And it only takes a couple of fibs that get exposed for people to realize your side is a bunch of lying scumbags, just like the other side is. People, especially after years of listening to the Limas before and after the collapse, quit believing anything they heard on the news. And with good reason. John realized this and accepted the challenge. Although he had no journalism training, he treated Radio Free Redoubt as a real news station. He would gather facts and verify them. He would give disclaimers if he didn't personally know the truth of a report he was giving out. He would candidly say that he was skeptical of some reports, even if they were pro-patriot, when it was objectively true that the reports were a little unbelievable. This isn't to say that he tried to be neutral, Ben said. He announced at the beginning of every show that he was a patriot and actively supported the patriot side, and then he went on to describe why. He described how broad and popular the patriot cause was. He described Lima atrocities, and he told listeners about Patriot victories. But he did all this with facts, not lies, exaggerations, or wishful thinking. John told me that he viewed every listener as someone he had a relationship with. He never knew who all his listeners were, of course, but in his mind he thought of a listener as someone who needed to get to know him, trust him, and rely on him. And like any relationship, it went both ways, he told me. He said he would ask listeners to do things for him after he had done things for them. He would ask them to support the Patriots, join guerrilla units, report intelligence, provide supplies to Patriots, or just persuade their friends of the Patriots' cause. And he would do things for them, like give them information they needed. John didn't just broadcast the news, he unearthed it. Listeners would send in tips, observations, and intelligence. They did so via delivering paper notes to a series of drop boxes, but most sent information in by ham radio via the Amron Network, which stood for the American Redoubt Radio Operators Network. Amron was the other half of Radio Free Redoubt. John created and maintained a huge network of ham operators who served as one of the Patriots' main communications networks. 
Amron served three purposes. First, it got information to John. Second, it got information out via ham radios, in case his main broadcasts were disrupted. Third, the local Amron operators became the hubs for many Patriot activities in their areas. John broadcast sometimes on the Internet, Ben said, pointing to Nick Norton. Well, actually on Ponytail Net. The audience applauded, seeing how many of the colonels were interconnected. But John's main broadcasting mode was ham radio and shortwave, Ben explained. Most people, especially after the war, are aware of how important ham radio is. But many haven't heard much about shortwave. Shortwave is transmitted via ham radio transmitters, but the listener has just a receiver. That is, shortwave is a way to listen but not respond to ham radio. Shortwave can also be used to send electronic sounds over ham radio frequencies that can easily be converted to words by a simple computer program. That is, Amron was a Patriot email service using only radio waves. As you can imagine, Ben said, the Lemus wanted to put Radio Free Redoubt out of business. They devoted significant resources to hunting John down, but they couldn't find him. He was in friendly territory, the Redoubt, and he was sheltered by trusted patriots. They also tried to jam his broadcasts, but he and the Amron operators built so much redundancy into the system that the Lemus couldn't jam it all the time. Sure, they got lucky a few times, but more often than not, Radio Free Redoubt was on the air when it was scheduled to be. That fact alone, that the Lemus couldn't take out Radio Free Redoubt, was a big morale boost to our side. I know it was for me out at the Prosser Farm. Broadcasting put John in extreme danger. The Lemus had sophisticated tools when their technology was working and their technicians weren't AWOL to find the radio signals. They even flew planes over the redoubt to try to find the signals. This meant John had to move around constantly. He would spend a day or more setting up a remote broadcast station, broadcast as quickly as he could, and then break it down and speed away. He did this for months on end, never knowing if a plane, helicopter, or drone would blow him up a few minutes into a broadcast. It was also hard on his family, who was safely in hiding in the redoubt, but it meant he didn't see them for months on end. They, too, deserve some of the recognition for Radio Free Redoubt's successes. The audience stood and applauded. Ben took a chance and asked the audience, How many of you here today listen to Radio Free Redoubt? Most of the audience raised their hands. Outstanding, Ben said. How many of you listened to the Rebel Radio broadcasts we did? A lesser number of people raised their hands, but still about half the audience had their hands up. John, you have better ratings than Rebel Radio, but I'm happy you reached more people. Keep on broadcasting. The general population still in occupied territory needs to hear you. The people in Seattle, Portland, California, and big cities in the West. They need the news. They need the truth.